praise the name of the Lord. If you came in tonight, you should have been handed a little 17-inch long uh, piece of paper, and it's um, basically about, um, it's called, the title of it's called The Revelation of the Word. If you didn't get one, I'm sure the ushers can give you one, and um, I apologize for um, the small print, and our light in here is not super bright, but maybe you can bring it home and get a magnifying glass, uh, or I know we have um, uh, floating around a few of the old, these old uh, paper that's on the 35 inch, which is twice as big, uh, long and rolled up. How many ever had one of those or saw one of those long ones? Few of you. And it used to be, um, used to be that you, when you bought one of these long charts, and uh, my dad had one. I know Brother White had one. I'm sure probably Brother Newstrand had one. I don't know. But when you bought one of these long charts that looked exactly like this, I used to string it across, that um, the idea was they sent you a hundred of these in a smaller version, and if you sold all hundred, well, your chart was, for a dollar a piece, your chart was free or whatever it was, and then you could order some more or whatever. And those were in the day long ago in... Um, I ask about printing ones the same size, and they're like over five bucks to print. And we can do that if you want one the same size, but um, these were a little less than 50 cents, so we just tip one of these 50 cent ones. Now, Brother Cawthorn's got a good idea because he's techno savvy. You can take a picture of a part of this and then enlarge it. Oh, look at there. See there? You know, when you got this younger generation, they know what to do. They're just, I'm impressed at, at how these young whippersnappers know how to figure that up. You get your phone out and enlarge it and look at it. Uh, <clears throat> but some of you may have one, an old one, and uh, if you really want one of the others, I'll be glad, talk to me after church, and we'll be glad to have them print uh, one up for you that's uh, the normal size, that's 11, about 11 inches by 35 inches, and uh, you can see that it would be much larger. <clears throat> I think, like I said, a little over five dollars, I said, which whatever, it's just, uh, we have to kind of know. Um, <clears throat> this chart overlays the vision that Daniel had and what John saw in the book of Revelation. And then the first part of the chart to the left of the chart is sort of the creation of the world and then up until Daniel's vision where the kingdom divides and then 
Um, they go into 70 years of captivity. The man laying down on the side, if you look about where his eyes are, right under the word Daniel, and you'll see where it says, it like it's like a, something emptying into a, a cauldron of some sort, and it says the 70 years captivity at Babylon. And for those of you, I, I, I've been teaching on Babylon on Monday night, and uh, we went through Babylon 1, Babylon, I mean Daniel 1, Daniel 2, and um, we were, we'll start Daniel the third chapter. And Brother Larry Hawk uh, called or texted uh, this morning and, and said that he had a stomach bug and wasn't going to be able to come tonight, and I understood that. Um, and so I, I was just like, well, Lord, what do you want me to teach tonight? And I've been teaching on Babylon, just taught on it Monday night. So I thought, well, let me see if I can get some of these printed. And Sister Emily Collins and Brother Robbie um, worked down at Minuteman, and they were able to help me and get these printed uh, for us tonight. And I know... There will be some others that will want them, and I'll give some out in my class. And I, I, I understand this is a, a deep chart. It involves, it would take weeks and weeks and weeks, and I'm only teaching tonight, and then we have some others on a few more Wednesday nights. And this, basically, what you have to understand about this chart is it, it looks at a word that theologians use called hermeneutics. Anybody ever heard of hermeneutics? Well, let me explain what hermeneutics is. Hermeneutics is like playing a jigsaw puzzle. Has anybody ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Let me see your hands. A few of you. Okay. Now, if I were to open a box of jigsaw pieces, and uh, behind my back, I, I open a box, and I take, and I give you a piece. And I said, all right, put that on the table about where you think it's going to be. And then I say, okay, well, let me get another piece. And I hand you another piece. And I say, now put that on the table about where you think that's going to be. I don't care if it's a corner piece. You may have an idea that it's in one of four corners, but which corner? Until you've seen the picture, okay, you know, it's kind of tough, wouldn't you say, to work on a jigsaw puzzle. So what we typically do is we look at the whole, then we look at the pieces, and then we try to figure out which piece goes as we keep going back and looking at what? The picture, the whole picture. And so it's this constant moving your eyes and attention between this, these pieces. Well, actually, there's another step before that. And that is you turn all the pieces over so you can see. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
dump them out, turn them all over, shuffle them around. And if you're like me, if there's a bunch of them that are still stuck together, you think, oh man, hallelujah. And when Caitlin was little and she was sick a lot of times, we did a lot of puzzles. I have puzzles. We would gel puzzles, put that Mod Podge on them, and we, man, we did puzzles and puzzles and puzzles and puzzles. And um, never was there a time until other people would join us that they would go, okay, I know this piece goes here. Now, you may not do your puzzles like that, but we actually had people that came in that tried to force pieces of the puzzle together. Now, again, I'm not saying all of you have done that. I'm just saying there are those that try to force it together. And if it's done correctly, there is no forcing it. You understand what I'm saying? It should dovetail all right. Now, I know there are much harder puzzles than I've ever done. You know, those thousand-piece puzzles that are just black and white swirls, and you're just like, oh, my Lord, every picture is black and white and black and white. And you can spend hours upon hours upon hours. And there are times when looking at the Bible can feel like that. But when you sort of look at the whole, and you come back and look at the parts, and then take the parts and go back to the whole and go back to the parts and go back and forth, keep going back and forth, Sometimes you're able to figure it all out. Now, there have been numerous theologians, much smarter than I, that have spent numerous of hours in studying the original language in Hebrew and the original language in Greek and, uh, and the books of Revelation and Daniel because those two books seem to dovetail together and seem to puzzle fit, if you will. And it's good when you're studying to think of the two sort of how do these puzzle pieces fit together. And so when you look at the bottom of this, this chart, there was this image laying on its side. And this is Daniel's vision. And this is what he saw. And then you will see if you will, the, the elongated toes and that, and then this upper vision is what John saw from here, uh, from about where the legs begin, John saw all the way down to the, all, the far right. This part that's in the far left, uh, that is creation, the fall of man, the creative days, those sorts of things. Does that make sense? So you see time, Abraham, Babylon, Babel, and so forth, and then about right where the head starts is the fall, the capture to Babylon, 
and then Daniel's vision, and then Daniel at the end seeing a stone cut out that ends up crushing the, uh, uh, the statue. So when you, when you study Daniel's vision, again, like I said, you have to think in terms of it coming together with the rest of the Bible and looking at the Bible as a whole. So let's start, Daniel, the seventh chapter, and let's read a few of the verses, and we'll kind of get a sense of um, what Daniel saw. Now this, actually, this vision, if you read the book of Daniel, and I, I mentioned this the last time, we studied Daniel, the first chapter, is the chapter one, two, three, four, five, and six are kind of a narrative. And they're, they're exciting because they tell wonderful stories about Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den, three Hebrew children, fiery furnace. They tell a lot of stories about Daniel. And in reality, when Nebuchadnezzar was king, what brought Daniel to prominence or preeminence, actually, even over all the other wise men, was Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And you can read it in Daniel, the second chapter. And he could not either remember or he refused to tell what the dream was. Now, this was Nebuchadnezzar. And he basically called all of his wise men in, including the Chaldeans, and said, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. And they hemmed and hawed and, oh, king, live forever. You're so awesome. You're amazing. Rah, rah, rah. We can't do it. And Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, then I'm going to pull you apart, cut you into pieces, make your house a dunghill, kill all your family, basically. He was a nice, kind king, wasn't he? And you read this in the second chapter of Daniel. And, and he said, I'm going to do all this and just know that I'm, I'm going to wipe you out. And they go, it's kind of an exciting chapter to read, a second chapter, because they go something like, oh, there's not a man on earth. There's not, there, only, a, only God who's in heaven, only a God can, can tell you the dream and the interpretation. And there's never been a king that's asked anything like this. You're out there in left field. I mean, which I'm sure, according to Daniel, the second chapter, infuriated Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, you know, he's the king and you tell him, look, you're way out of bounds. You have no business doing this. I mean, imagine Trump or Biden or Carter or anybody going up to the president and saying, you're out of bounds, you can't do this. And how do you think they feel? What do you think they're going to say? Oh, okay, thank you very much. Especially if they're a captive servant, basically, that was spared by the king. It's not like England telling, you know, the king telling the prime minister of England. It's not like that. It's like somebody who was captured who's living at the mercy of the king, telling the king that you're out of bounds. And he was so angry. 
Anyway, and then what you read is Daniel prayed, three Hebrew children prayed with him, and then they all went in, and Daniel interpreted the dream, and it was a dream, this dream, that Nebuchadnezzar had. And then Nebuchadnezzar did what? In the third chapter, for those of you who remember, he decides to build this huge statue because of the dream. And then he starts in with, I'm going to make everybody bow down and worship it. Now, he didn't make Daniel do it because Daniel was the one that interpreted the dream, but that's when you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys, that they were told to bow down or you're going to be burned alive. And that's the fiery furnace. And then, of course, later, Daniel, uh, you know, there is the, the point of him praying, and they didn't want him to pray, and gets thrown in the lion's den, et cetera, et cetera. All that's in the first six chapters. But then in chapter 7, 7 and 1, <clears throat> in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head um, upon his bed, and he wrote the dream and told the sum of the manners. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, why four? Why did that number four? Now, this is where you look at the overlay, four points on a compass. The earth was created on what day of creation? Anybody remember? The fourth day of creation. And this wind, what is wind? It's symbolic of the spirit, uh, you know, either holy or earthly. But these four, you know, I say spirit, breath. We know that the wind, in fact, that verse sounds very much like Genesis, the first chapter. You know, the spirit hovered over the face of the waters. But here was... These, the wind of heaven was on the great sea. So here it is. Now, I, the reason I said divine or earthly, you know, if we ever, you probably have never heard the expression up here, but there's a southern expression, he's a bag of hot air and something like that. Anybody ever heard something similar, you know, like that? He's, a, he's full of hot air. Y'all don't use that in the north. Y'all are so kind up here. Anyway, so it's a spiritual term in a sense. And he says, so the winds of heaven strove on the great sea. Sea, oftentimes a great sea of humanity. You know, the Bible, Psalms talks about the wicked are like this, you know, troubled sea and uh, I remember, you know, when you think about the Isle of Patmos and that little tiny island and the sea blowing and the wind. And I know a lot of people here love to go to the beach and they love to, oh, the ocean is so calming. And then yet when you, it starts blowing and gales and ah, uh, then you're thankful that you live inland. But, See, like humanity. And four beasts, great beasts, came up from the sea, diverse from one another. The first, uh, verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now, 
<clears throat> what, is, what about the lion? The lion, what, what animal's considered the king of beasts? The lion. What animal's considered the king of all the birds? The eagle. So this animal had eagle's wings, was like a lion, and I beheld till the wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon its feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. What's ironic is, if you go back into Daniel, it's like a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who was head of this kingdom, ended up acting like an animal. He crawled on all fours like an animal, remember? Because he was boasting about what he had done. So that's in the history. So this had happened before Daniel had this vision. Verse 5, another beast, a second, likened to a bear. Now, a bear is not as, um, not considered the king of the beast, but it's, uh, although it's slower, it's much heavier, it has great claws, crushing power, it is, you know, um, you don't want to get a bear hug. <laughs> It's not something that you go, oh, yeah, give me a bear hug. Here's a grizzly. Let me, you know, hug me. Um, It raised itself on one side, had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, arise, devour much flesh. So here was this next kingdom, if you will, which we're going to notice later is the Medo-Persian empire, and it's got that sense of a bear. And then you go on, and it says, another. Uh, after this, uh, verse 6, I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard. Leopard would be very swift, very fast, and it's one of the fastest, you know, animals. And It had upon its back four wings of a fowl, and it had four heads. And dominion, dominion was given to it. An implication that it was allowed to dominate. And so when you, and and, and did it very swiftly. And that's a, a part or a type of the Grecian Empire, most folks believe, and we'll look at some of the reasons why later in the vision. And then um, <clears throat> this was the third animal. And then verse 7, after this I saw in the night visions and beheld, behold a fourth beast. Important, dreadful, power, terrible, strong exceedingly, had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, a lot of people immediately put that as the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was known for building roads and being able, you know, its army marched in a straight line, go, there, you know, there they go. The Roman Empire. And this beast ended up having ten horns. 
Now, those ten horns are very much likened unto what we're going to see is the ten toes. What we're going to see is some sort of a league of nations. But notice verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn. So there was the eleventh horn, and before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So that the implication is there that this eleventh horn is like the Antichrist, and that three of the ten major powers, or whatever those are, are not going to want to align themselves with that horn, and they will be plucked up. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. And then the last phrase of verse 8, and a mouth speaking great things. And when you read that in the Hebrew, it means bragging, boasting. Now, if you really want to kind of get an idea of the Antichrist and the spirit, you have to go forward to the book of Thessalonians. And it's a, a book written by Paul. It's in the New Testament. And the second book of Thessalonians and the second chapter, and there are about 12 verses. Second Thessalonians 2 and, and 1 through 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a great falling away, come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's speaking of the Antichrist. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth on the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we are living in a spiritual hour of who is God who sits on the throne? Me. Well, I don't think the Bible means that. I don't think the Lord wants. I don't think. I, 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 I. And he said there's coming one that's going to say, I'm God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Verse 6, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So in other words, that spirit's already here, folks. And when, then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth 
and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie and be damned. That they might be damned who believed not the truth, that they might but had pleasure Are we living in a world that has pleasure in unrighteousness? I, I, somebody sent me a clip of, I think it was, I think it was Bill Maher. I don't really know him that well. I, I, he's a late night host that I think is liberal. But he was saying that, okay, we got to do something. Because every 10 years or 20 years, the number in the LGBT whatever community is doubling in size. And in 25 more years, there will be nobody who's not in that category. If you keep going, if you follow the same trajectory, and all of that is a spirit of, nobody tells me anything. I don't care if there are boundaries. And you say, well, okay, he had tendencies back when they were, okay, but, you know, because of laws and because of things, okay, we'll keep that in check. I'm not going to go there. Were there abuses? Yes, I'm sorry, all the above. But guess what? There's the word of God. And I, I, I have talked to some and they go, I don't care what that says, it's what I feel. And I know the Lord wants me to be happier, well adjusted. And I try to find Bible and verse for that and you can't find it. I'm not... But this sense of striving goes back to, go to Revelation, the seventh chapter. Let me just show you what it says in Revelation, seventh chapter, first couple of verses. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get too far afield from Daniel. I'm not trying to be harsh. But after these things, I saw four angels, notice that, four angels, Revelation 7, 1, standing on the four corners of the earth, four, having the four winds of the earth, four, that the wind should not blow on the earth nor on the sea nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of God. He carried a loud voice of the four angels to whom was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our Lord God in their foreheads. So that sense of striving and that sense of the Antichrist spirit is so prevalent. It's here. One that says, nobody's going to tell me. I, I am not. I do what I want to do. 
Now, in Daniel, the seventh chapter, you go back to Daniel after the eighth verse is the ninth verse. And he says, I beheld till all, till the thrones were cast down. And then he uses a phrase. What does he call it? The ancient of days did sit. Now he describes the ancient of days. And now this is where if you demand that there are three separate, then you would have to go, okay, well, the ancient of days would have to be God or the Father. But yet, then if you go to Revelation and you read the description in the first chapter of Revelation, it sounds a whole like this guy. So is this guy sitting on the throne? the ancient of days? Or is the lamb sitting on the throne? Or are they fighting over who's sitting on the throne? Or was Jesus, God, manifest in flesh? So he was both the son of man and the son of God. And God, the ancient of days. That's why, you know, we say, you know, is it important that you understand who God is? Yes, and you can try to pound these verses into fitting into something else. But here would be, here would be the ancient of days. Garments white as snow, hair and head like pure wool, thrown like a fiery flame, feet like burning fire. What does that sound like? Okay, y'all act like you've never heard that before. Go to Revelation, the first chapter. Start at verse one, I mean at verse seven. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him. Those that pierced him. Did they pierce God, the Father, or did they pierce the Son? Or was it all in him? The fullness of the Godhead. Huh? And all kindreds of the earth because will wail and say, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, saith the Lord, which was, which is, which was, and is to come the Almighty. Jump down. Verse 12. And I heard the voice of him that spake unto me. Now, if you have a red letter edition, it's made simple because they put it in red letters. Verse 11 is all red letters. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. But then verse 12, I turned to hear the voice and I turned and saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the one of the candlesticks was one like unto the son of, what did he say? Son of man, clothed with a garment down to his foot and girt about his paps with a golden girdle and his head and hair were white like wool. He looked just like daddy. And his eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like undefined brass and they burned in a furnace and his voice was the sound of many waters. 
And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth seven sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance as the sun that shined. And I fell at his feet as dead. And he says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was. Okay, so they killed God. They killed the son of man, but they didn't kill God. You understand what I'm saying? And so, and I'm alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things that thou seen, which are and are things which shall be hereafter. So when you go back now to Daniel 7th chapter, sorry about this, go back. Verse 10, fiery stream issued, came forth, thousands and thousands ministered unto him. And... <clears throat> Ten thousand times ten thousand. Anybody see something like that in Revelation? The books were open. So, you know, and I, I don't need to read it, but you can go to Revelation 19, Revelation 20. All of that are puzzle pieces that fit with this opening the books at the what we often call the white throne judgment. And I saw in night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So you say, it's obvious there are two. Daniel was seeing the difference between Son of Man, the flesh, the man, Christ, Jesus, and the Spirit of God. And you say, okay, well, does that mean they're one? Yes, because who was standing there? And there was given unto him dominion and glory and kingdom. And who gets all of that? Is that Jesus. So he was basically seeing Jesus was given an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. He's grieved in his spirit, verse 15. He's troubled in his mind. The visions troubled him. And he stood and asked the truth. And he told him, let, let me tell me about this interpretation. And verse 17 gives this interpretation. He says, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom." and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. He said, then I wanted to know the truth of the four beasts, which was different from all the others. That was that fourth one, remember? That terrible beast that he talked about earlier. And he said, whose teeth were iron, Nails of brass, devoured, break into pieces, stamped the residue with his feet of the ten horns that were in his head. And the others which came up, and before whom three fell, three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld that same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. 
Does anybody feel like you're in a battle? I know you say, oh, we're all getting older and it's harder. Let me just tell you, it's not just we're getting older. It has steadily increased the fight that we've been in. The fight to just, I, I mean, you know, I remember several years ago, you know, it, it wasn't unusual to get good people in your church. New converts. Now, it's a miracle if you get some that don't have lots of baggage. That you got to fight to, huh? They've got problems and they're... I mean, I don't, you know, I know not everybody was Mr. and Miss Cleaver. But there were a lot of good people. Are there still good people? Sure. But I, I, and, and I'm thankful every time, you know, we get a, a good one. And, you know, the, the, the key is that uh, when you look at the war that's going on, he said, verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now, when you read verses 19, 20, 21, and 22, verses 23, 24, and 25 are the interpretation of that. So let's read verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue Three kings. So a lot of people, you know, have speculated, well, that's the United Nations. You know, there's more than 10. But some have said, oh, that was the European Union. And some have said that's NATO. And I don't know if it will be actually 10. I don't know. But when you look at all the nations that are mirrored after the Roman Empire, you know, we use the eagle, they use the eagle, all those things. When you look at that, and yet there was going to be some nation arise. Some have said, okay, well, that's like the European, East European, and then Russia, and then China, and then the other Asian countries, Japan, and some of those, and Australia, and, and then they go, Africa has two or three regions, and then North America and South America, and so that's the 10 areas. And that three of those areas will fall to the Antichrist. And could be, I don't know. Maybe there will be something else that will come out. But notice, I really want to turn your attention to this verse 25. Because, and I, I know my time is almost up, but because, and he shall speak great words against the Most High 
and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Is that spirit loose? Have you ever just felt like, I don't know if I can take anymore. I'm exhausted. Well, it's just one thing after another. It doesn't let up. I know nobody's ever felt that way, but me? That spirit is loose to do what it can to discourage, to depress, to overwhelm. And think to change times and laws. In other words, I don't have to abide by anything that God established. Because who set time and seasons in motion? Who set the boundaries of the law? And you say, well, you know, isn't it great? We're trying to find a cure for cancer and trying to find a cure for this. And I'm thankful for doctors. And I'm thankful for all they do. And I'm thankful for those, you know, and they take your medicine, all the above. But, you know, it's like we're trying to, I want to live forever. And we have people that actually succumb to it and say, freeze me before I die or when I die. I want to wake up somewhere. And they leave thousands of dollars to wake up when they discover a cure to make me young again. What is that? It's the notion of I can defy. I'm not bound by time and law. And I understand. I mean... More and more and more in the last 50 years, more people are nipping it and tucking it and coloring it and stretching it and yanking it and pulling it. And if you've done that, God bless you, it's okay. Plugging it, hair plugging it. And you say, Pastor, you ought to try it. You'd look better. I, I don't. I need it. I'm not being critical. Pull it, stretch it, nip it, tuck it, dye it, color it, yank it. Guess what? At some point, I don't think you can change time yet. I mean, when they look at you and go, don't she look good? Boy, he looks good, doesn't he? He's all stretched and tight and puffy and colored up nice. I'm not being critical. I'm really not. I know it sounds like it, but I, I promise. I'm just saying, I, you know, and I, I've seen people and, and it's like, their eyebrows are in the middle of their forehead, and I'm thinking, wow. Lord Jesus, if you were born that way. Hallelujah. Okay, I mean, maybe they were born as a baby. They just, 
and they can't smile. There's no facial expression. You go, oh, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Time shall be no more. Oh, anyway, okay. Sorry, I got way afield. Please forgive me. We'll edit that out. And they shall be given into his hand until a time, verse 25, and times, that would be two times, so a time and then times, two more, and a dividing of time. That's where the three and a half years comes. And what is that talked about in Revelation, the 11th chapter, is 42 months or three and a half years. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume it and destroy it on the very end, and you can finish out that chapter. And if you go to Revelation, the 13th chapter, and I'm not, I, I, not, I don't have time to go there. I've tucked it enough. But read Revelation, the 13th chapter, starting at verse 2, and just keep reading till you get way down into Revelation, the 13th chapter. And basically what Daniel saw was Revelation, the 13th chapter that John saw. And so that's where this chart is that sense of he is seeing the judgment. He is seeing, uh, he did not see basically the church age. Daniel didn't, but he saw the judgment that's in the book of Revelation. And you say, well, how do we know this? Guess who in Matthew, the 24th chapter, made the statement? <laughs> Let me see. Let me see if I can find my reference point. I didn't, I didn't write it down. I apologize. But it is, well, it's Matthew 24, 15. It is Jesus who talks about the what Daniel vision and from Daniel the 12th chapter and the 11th verse Matthew 24:15 says when you therefore shall see the abomination abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place so Jesus believed that Daniel's vision had not yet been completed. But Daniel, the 12th chapter and the 11th verse, turn to that one last verse, sorry, Daniel 12 and 11 says, and from the time, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination which maketh desolation get up, set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and 90 days. Anybody want to figure, guess how many that is? Yes, Brother Cother. That's right. 1,290 days. And so because of that, people say well, the tribulation period will be seven years long. The first three and a half, because he talks about time, times, and half time, and because Revelation says 42 months, they try to fit the puzzle pieces together and they say, Daniel saw seven years of tribulation and then they said the last three and a half years would be basically after 
the Antichrist tries to make a league with all the nations to come together, and then he breaks it at three and a half years, goes to the three and a half. Does that make sense? So if it's all looks like just little tiny pieces and you go, Pastor, I'm lost. Please forgive me. I tried to throw a whole puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle on the table. But if you'll keep looking at it and working with it, and maybe at some point I'll build a rolling stand and we can pull the chart out and look at it, the same chart, bigger, but explain it. I know my dad taught many, many years on with the chart. and I, Did Brother Neustrand ever teach with that chart? Anybody? Did he, Brother John? I'm sure a lot of people did. Because... Uh, there was um, Larkin and others have tried to fix, uh, fit this puzzle all together. And you say, well, does it all, you know, it's hard for it all to line up. I know. But uh, what I know is I believe those same spirits that are described by Daniel we're feeling now more than ever before. Amen. Men shall be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Heady, high-minded. Right? Hard to get along. So, what does it tell me to do? Look up. Redemption draweth nigh. And know that, I, and, and I don't, let's stand. I'm, I, if, I, if you stand, then I'll shut up. If you understand this, you'll realize that the attack from Hezbollah on now on Israel and then U.S. hitting the Houthis and then all the stuff that are happening with, you know, the Gaza and that fight. Now we've got three separate things going right now. It's all where? Right in the Middle East. And there is a, a great spirit behind it. And where is that spirit emanating? Where's the money coming from? What used to be Babylon. And if you can't look and go, wow, I wonder what's going on. I mean, Lord, help us. What a time to be ready. What a time to look up. What a time to say, Lord, I love you. I need you. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit, your presence. I pray that you will anoint us. Give us strength in this hour. Even though the enemy is trying to wear us out, even though the enemy is trying to just wear us down, even though the enemy is trying to do what he can to discourage and defeat and steal, kill, and destroy, give us strength, Lord, in this hour, because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We're still alive and remain, and we're planning on going up with a shout with a shout of triumph, with the voice of the archangel. We're planning on leaving here victorious in the name that's above every name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Shake hands with somebody. Hallelujah.